are in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. We'll go through the whole chapter, hopefully. Let me give you a little bit of background first, and then we'll read the first verse or two and get started on it. But I think it's good, especially when you start a particular book of the Bible, that you know a little bit of history on it. Thessalonians was written by Paul, and it was to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was located about 100 miles southwest of Philippi. How many have heard of the book of Philippians, right? And Thessalonica was a thriving seaport community, and it was the capital of Macedonia. How many have heard of Macedonia in the Bible? And it's important to understand what type of city this is. And if you know what type of city it is, because it is a seaport community, and you've got communication, and you've got trade coming in by ship, then that means that not only do this trade come in, but also that the gospel can go in and out, right? So that's important to understand this was a key city in uh, this area. So Thessalonica was a uh, seaport. It was a communication and trade center uh, in that area. And it was a city of about 200,000 people. So a little less than Lexington is, but uh, a pretty good sized city, a big city for uh, those days. Paul founded the church there in Thessalonica, but he was forced to leave the city because there was a lot of Jewish people who were jealous of the church's influence. See, they didn't want people converting to Christianity. Uh, so the, some of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, were uh, jealous of the church's influence. So they kind of ran Paul off. Not long after Paul left, he sent Timothy. I mean, those, Timothy was his protege. We just came out of it. Timothy, uh, a few weeks ago, the last book that I taught, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on this new church that he had founded. So this is a baby church. It really is. It's only uh, probably three to six months old by the time Paul gets back around to being able to communicate with this new church. And he's checking on it. He sends Timothy and then when Timothy comes back, uh, he writes a letter to the Thessalonican church. So what we will be reading is the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonican church. So Paul was forced to leave, and he left so suddenly that he was concerned that this baby church wouldn't have the foundation that it needed uh, to keep going on during this time of a lot of opposition. The uh, Roman Empire did not like Christianity. They were very persecuted. And so Paul's concerned about this baby church, and he uh, has sent Timothy there. But what he found out is that the church is doing well. Isn't that good? Amen? Isn't it always good news to find out that the church is doing well? Uh, he wrote, writes the book to express his joy because they've continued in a strong faith and determination, even under persecution. So I, I think that's important for us to understand. Uh, 
we don't face persecution like they were then, but we are starting to face persecution as Christians in our modern day. Uh, there, there are things that are happening, uh, not necessarily people being put to death in our country, but they are in other countries. Uh, so persecution is on the rise against Christianity. Uh, and so Paul writes to build them up in their faith, to help them grow spiritually. Uh, and he uh, writes to clarify about what happens to a Christian uh, who dies before Jesus returns. You see, one thing about this early church, okay, is that they were expecting Jesus to come any minute, right? Uh, I, I think that we need to have a stronger expectation than what we do because the Lord can come back at any moment. And I, I don't say that to frighten them because I believe all of us know the Lord, but I say it to enlighten Right? Uh, but there is, it ought to put some oomph behind our witness that the Lord could come at any day. And I don't know about you, but I've got some loved ones that I am concerned about, right? That I don't know their uh, faith. I don't know if they are trusting in the Lord. I, I know they're not coming to church. I know they're not doing some of those things that, you know, uh, accompany having a strong faith, right? Uh, so it's important for us to understand that. All right, so that kind of gives us the background of this baby church who's doing well. They've got uh, the faith. They're continuing to continue to go on for the Lord. Uh, so let's read verse 1. Paul is going to greet the Thessalonian Christians. And it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Should take note of that. It doesn't just say that this letter is from Paul. Uh, and that's important. Paul operates with a team mentality. Uh, I, I really believe there are too many people and too many churches that operate under a Lone Ranger mentality. You, you know what I'm talking about? Now, even Lone Ranger had Tonto, didn't he? Right? I remember growing up, I'll just I'll set you back just a little bit. I remember being a kid, and the only time you had cartoons was on Saturday morning as a kid. Now they have them 24-7. Uh, but you had to get up at 6 a.m., and me and my brother did it faithfully, to watch first the Lone Ranger and Tonto, then the cartoons came on. Right? Uh, so I know a little bit about the Lone Ranger and Tonto, and he had at least Tonto, who was his helper. We need helpers, right, uh, to carry on the work of the Lord. Jesus had the 12. We're, we're supposed to have our helpers as well, aren't we? So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we all want to be, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a very customary uh, greeting by Paul. He always uh, seemed to greet people with grace and peace. He knows that those are two of the chief things that we need. Amen? Uh, those are the, the chief things that we need. So we see that Paul wasn't working by himself 
so he had a team. That team included Sylvanus and Timothy. We know a little bit about uh, Timothy because we just went through that, those two books, right? Who is Syl Sylvanus? I bet if I tell you what he is also known as, that you'll remember. He was also known as Silas. How many remember Paul, the stories of Paul and Silas, right? Silas, uh, a very experienced companion of Paul. Uh, he traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey, and he was imprisoned with Paul. How many remember that story? Well, that's a, that's a story, isn't it? I mean, about them being imprisoned, they've been beaten, they were shackled, and they, at midnight, I don't want to preach, but I could on that one. At midnight, you know, they begin to praise the Lord, and they were set free. There, there's something powerful about worshiping the Lord, amen? Uh, and so they, they begin to do that. And so that was the Silas that was with Paul when they were in the Philippian jail. Uh, so when Paul first came to Thessalonica, he brought Silas with him and Timothy. Timothy, let me just remind you a little bit about Timothy, okay? Timothy was from a resident of a city named Lystra uh, in Galatia. Have you ever heard of the book called Galatians? Now, when you begin to study the New Testament, you'll see where all these letters that Paul wrote, that what's tied into them is these are places that he did missionary journeys to. Then he comes back and he begins to write to them. Be kind of like me going on a mission trip, and then I began to write to the churches that I saw and the people that I saw. Except I didn't start the churches like Paul did, right? Uh, but that, that's similar to what we're seeing. He was the son of a Greek father, remember that? And his mother was Jewish. And it was his mother and his grandmother that raised Timothy. Oh, the, there's a lot of women in here tonight. The power of women... Uh, to raise their sons and daughters to know the Lord, right? And to know the scripture. It's powerful. Uh, and we need to make sure that we're doing that with our children. Uh, so Timothy was a trusted companion of Paul, accompanied him on missionary journeys. And Paul, as a matter of fact, sent him, Timothy, back to Thessalonica. He's the one that brought good news. It's always good to get good news. So it's to the church of Thessalonians. Paul founded this church, uh, but shortly after starting it, he was forced out by enemies of the gospel. So how many knows that there are still enemies of the gospel? There, there really are. Now, it might not be people, but it could be. But there are enemies of the gospel. Satan himself does not want the word of God and the gospel going out to people because what does the Bible tell us about the gospel? It is the power of God unto salvation. Whenever he can hinder the word of God going out, then he's hindering salvations from occurring. That's one of the primary missions of this church is that the word goes forth. Right? That is why we have Bible studies. That is why some people like and some don't, uh, that we do things like Facebook and podcasts and those kinds of things. And there are people watching these, by the way. 
so it, it is a good thing. Uh, I know at times we've even had people from other countries listening. So it is a, uh, a way to get the gospel out, which is one of the primary things that a church uh, is called to do. If we're not getting the word out, we're kind of just like a social club, in my opinion, right? Uh, so we need to make sure that we're getting the word of God out. That includes things like uh, what Barbara Martin is doing at the Isaiah house. She uh, told me what was going on, and she said, we're going to be buying some Bibles for those ladies. And I said, the church is going to buy the Bibles, right? Uh, so, and it wasn't very much. And so we bought Bibles for those young ladies. And I tell you what, it'll make a difference in their lives. Amen? Uh, so the word of God is powerful, very powerful. Uh, even in the face of these enemies that Paul had, the church continued to be alive and active. Now, I'm not teaching on the book of Acts, but I, I, I want to challenge you. Go look at the book of Acts and read it under this lens. Look and see how the uh, persecution doesn't hinder the church, but it actually causes it to grow and to spread and to become stronger. Now, we don't really want persecution, but the Bible is proof in the book of Acts that when you, you see, if you're willing to suffer for the kingdom, and the Bible tells us to do that, if you're will, willing to suffer persecution for the kingdom of God, then God's going to honor that and he's going to grow his kingdom, right? Uh, and he's going to work through you. So we see that on his second missionary journey, Paul was imprisoned and then miraculously freed. Uh, and then he is goes on from there to Macedonia. Macedonia. He is there only three weekends and he has to flee because of another angry mob. I'm glad I don't have to run every three weeks and go preach to another group of people. <laughs> uh, but we, we see this. It was the beginnings of the church. And there was violence. There was uh, against the church, but yet the church continued to grow. When you look at your history of the church, you see that. His next stop with his was in Athens, where he preached a, a sermon there. He kind of had mixed results. Let me know that every time you preach, it doesn't always come out like you want it to. Right? Sometimes that happens to me. Sometimes you all think it's a great sermon, and I thought I bombed. Sometimes I thought it was a great sermon, and later on my wife told me it wasn't. So, you know... <laughs> But that, you know, that's, we, what do we, Danny and I were talking about this. We, we, we just do our best, don't we, Danny? And the Lord gets a hold of it, and he uses it somehow. He uses our inefficiencies uh, to, to uh, do his work, and I think it's purposeful. I've had people walk up to me after church, and they're like, Pastor, you was reading my mail. And I was like, uh, no, I wasn't. But anyway, I'm glad the Lord ministered to you. And then I've had people walk up and say, when you said this, and I'm like, I didn't even saying that. Praise the Lord. Like God got a hold of it and used it, right? So Paul uh, travels to Corinth. I may have heard of the book Corinthians. 
and he, again, has a great concern for the churches there. Uh, and while at Corinth, Silas and, and Timothy come to him, and while he's in Corinth is when he gets the good news about the Thessalonican church. It's from there in Corinth that he writes the letter to the Thessalonian church, uh, and he is excited about that. Paul is a, an apostle. We don't use that term very often, but the primary job of an apostle is starting churches, starting new works. The terminology we use these days is planting a church. I may have heard that. And so Paul is an apostle, and he is starting these churches, but because he is starting churches and he's moving from place to place, one of the primary jobs of an apostle is to appoint local pastors to the churches. What I really find amazing is this work of God that starts in Acts chapter 2, and there's no organization from a human standpoint. It's crazy, okay? Can I tell you, the day of Pentecost was crazy. Crazy good, but crazy, right? Because there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes, and... Peter stands up to preach, and how I many knows Peter really wasn't that eloquent with the speech up to that point, right? He was the guy that was always sticking his foot in his mouth and saying, well, you know, he's just the guy cutting people's ears off and doing all this kind of stuff. And Peter stands up and he preaches by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people instantaneously come into the church. Imagine... We're at church on Sunday mornings between the two services. We average anywhere from 95 to 108 or so. A couple weeks ago, out of the pavilion, we had 116. Great day. Imagine we went from the 120, what some people say the upper room might have. Anyway, at the day of the Pentecost, imagine the 120 instantaneously in one day becomes 3,000. Now, that'd be wonderful, but there'd be a whole lot of administrative things that needed to be set in place, and it amazes me that God gives them the wisdom to know how to do that. Now, that's just a side note. We got all that for free. Uh, <laughs> so Paul ends this first verse, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, I'm only 20 minutes in, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. So Paul is saying, I remember you. Isn't it good when somebody says, I remembered you in prayer? I remembered what you were going through. I, I pray, pray. I fondly uh, remember you. I give thanks to God every time I think about you and I pray for you. He is full of gratitude because the church that he has established there is doing well. That was after he had to leave really quickly. So it's doing well. He's excited about it. He makes mention of the people in prayer. It doesn't say 
that he spent hours and hours and hours praying for the people. It says he mentioned them in prayer. Sometimes I think we would do good just to mention people's name in prayer. Just to bring them before God's throne. I mean, you ever do that? If you, if you don't have time to pray for somebody for an hour, at least mention them before the throne of God because God knows what to do with it even when we don't know or have the time to really pray like we ought to. So he makes mention of them in prayer. Now, I'm not giving the excuse. When you pray for me, pray for an hour. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Verse 3 and 4. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing the love of brethren, your election by God. So, uh, again, Paul is remembering them. Uh, he's making mention of them. Uh, it, it doesn't tell us that this was a perfect church without any problems. As a matter of fact, it says it was a young church, but Paul was continually praying for them, remembering them, mentioning them. Just a side note, I wonder how many times we really do that with new Christians. Can I bring it back on us a little bit? When somebody first gets saved, we ought to pray for them more than ever. Because the enemy's after them. And if he can get them soon after they've gotten saved, then he's going to try to. Uh, that's part of the reason when people come forward for salvation, I pray for them and I assure them that they're saved. But I also tell them that when you walk out of here, the devil's going to say, that didn't mean nothing. You didn't get saved. You just said a bunch of words. Right? That's why we got to pray for those new believers. Right? And not just pray for them, but go near them. Draw them in. Be a friend. Right? Uh, it's, it's very, very important that we do that. Uh, they were working for the Lord. They had a work of faith, a labor of love, and a patience of hope in the Lord. Look at this last little section of verse 4. Paul reminds them that God loved them. Aren't you glad for the love of the Lord? Amen? He calls them beloved. Beloved. We are God's beloved. Don't ever forget it. God loves you. He loves you when you're doing real well and faithfully serving him and when you mess up. He loves you. He might love, how many love your kids when you discipline them as well, right? And so he might discipline us a little bit, uh, but he still loves us. He never fails to love us. He, we're beloved and we're chosen. That's what that scripture says. We're elected. So when we love people, we choose them, right? When God loves us, and he does, he chooses us. That's what that word uh, election means there. It has uh, some, a deeper spiritual meaning than that, but that's, that's what we're uh, looking at here. Let's go to verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what, the, what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. 
when you read the Bible, there is a, a thing that they actually, in the class I'm taking right now, that they teach us to look for, and it's called cause and effect. Do you know what that means? It means because of this, this happened, right? So look at this. It is the gospel that affects change in the Thessalonians. The word of God will change you. Can I get an amen? I know I'm not preaching, but it's true, right? It is the word of God. It has power. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says it's not only in word. Because I'm not really very eloquent. And I've seen a whole lot of preachers that were even less eloquent than me. Uh, but it's not about the eloquence of the word. It's about the power of the word. Right? I don't come to you in word only, but in power. And where's the source of that power? It's the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what it says. In power and in the Holy, Holy Spirit. In much assurance. Wow. It's amazing what God can do when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of his word. I've been teaching before, and even uh, even in teaching, but especially in preaching, I look up and not really know how God's moving and God's working and see tears streaming down different people's face. You see, it's not in my words. I don't have that power. It's the Holy Spirit using the words, bringing conviction or bringing hope or bringing assurance of that God's got me in this, right? Uh, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit that gets a hold of the words that we speak that are the gospel of Christ, and he uses them in power to change minds, hearts, and lives. I used to say for years and years, he's touching lives and changing destinies. Sorry, it took me a minute to get there. That's what God does with the word. He touches lives and he changes destinies. Because you and I, before we heard the word, we weren't headed to heaven. We were headed in the opposite direction, right? But when the word came forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and it brought conviction upon our lives and the Spirit said, come on to Jesus. You remember that moment? I was only seven, but I remember. I don't even know what kind of sins I had at seven, but obviously I had some that the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life and said, come to Jesus. He'll take care of that. Right? That's powerful is that so if God can use somebody like that verse 6 so there's a cause and effect that happens when the word comes forth right when the word comes forth and people respond to the word it says here and you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So when the word goes forth, people respond and they follow. What's key here is they follow the Lord. But Paul does tell us, follow me as I follow the Lord. 
Well, that's a convicting statement, isn't it? And hopefully we are able to say, follow me as I follow the Lord. Not that I'm perfect, not that you're perfect, but that we're striving to follow the Lord. And come and follow me as I follow the Lord. It's a, it's a message of personal discipleship. You don't hear that word very often. Discipleship. But we ought to hear it more. And we ought to do it more because it was the great commission of God. If you read it, it doesn't say go out and get people saved. Well, that's the first part of it, right? It's important they get saved first. But the Great Commission is about making disciples, right? Making disciples. Followers of the Lord. And a disciple will follow the one who is discipling them. So it's important. How are we living the word? How are we living for the Lord? Verse 7. So that you became examples of to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. So, not only did the Thessalonians hear the word and it changed them and they became followers, now it says, see there's a, a growth that's happening here. You should not be the same person you were when you first got saved. That's where they mean. Amen. You ought to be different. You ought to grow. You ought to mature. You ought to be somebody who's discipling others. And Paul said here that not only did you become followers, but you became examples. That's different than just a follower. So I'm discipling this person next to me to the point that they're able to disciple someone next to them. They've become the example by watching my example. Are, are we getting this? Because it, it's important. It really is. I think that's why, I'm going to be bold and say this, why the church doesn't always grow at the pace that it ought to is because we aren't really discipling like we ought to. There's more to Christianity than just showing up to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. That's convicting, and we ought to be discipling other people. That's how the church grows. That's how the church grows. Oh, we might have a great revival, and 10 people get saved. Have you ever experienced that? Have a great revival, 10 people get saved. Next Sunday morning, none of them show back up. Why? Haven't nurtured them, haven't called on them, haven't checked on them. We were just excited, and all of heaven was excited they got saved, but hopefully they went to church somewhere that next Sunday. But we don't know that. They might not have, because they might not have had somebody discipling them. Well, this is coming out so you better not tell. Okay. <laughs> it's the Lord, right? Verses 8 through 10. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Paul said, I preached the word. You responded. You got discipled. You discipled other people. 
Now, those same people are the ones sending forth the word. You see the growth and the maturity that's happening here in the early church? How many knows that we ought to be sounding forth the word of God? Right? Are we mature? I'm not, I'm not trying to break conviction, but what I'm trying to do is, is bring us to the point that we understand that we, we should be growing so much in this that now that we have the capacity to preach the word. Yeah, I did say that. You guys are not the only preachers. I mean, I'm not the only preacher in this house. We're all called to preach the word. Now, we might not all have a calling to pastor a church and to get behind a pulpit or to teach a class, but we certainly ought to be, by our lifestyle and by our words, bringing the word of God forth to the people that we're around. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Wow, isn't that amazing? For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Whew, he's coming. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, this baby church, I want to emphasize this again, is, has gotten a hold of God's plan. Because God's plan is discipleship. Disciples discipling others who begin to disciple others. And in that process, they're all sending forth the word of God. And the church is growing and the kingdom of God is growing. And lives are being touched and destinies are being changed. All of this happening because they got a hold of God's word, right? That's why I'm excited about the word, right? Because I know when I preach it, even and the Holy Spirit has helped me a lot tonight. Because this, this, I looked over this two or three times, and it's nothing like what I thought it would come out. Uh, but the word of God is so powerful, and when we just are willing to say it. Say it over our lives. Say it over our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives and our neighbors and our friends and, and share the word of God with them in our testimony. And then God begins to do the miraculous. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit gets a hold of it. And God gets all of the glory to wait for his son from heaven. I want to read a Charles Spurgeon book just simply because I like it. Oh, this, this is about to wait for his son from heaven. Oh, this is a high mark of grace. When the Christian expects his Lord to come and lives like one that expects him every moment. If you and I knew tonight that the Lord would come before this service was over, in what state of heart should we sit in these pews? In that state of heart we ought to be. I think we believe it, but we don't always act like it. He's coming. Let's look at these questions. Verse 1. What was important about the location of Thessalonica? 
lots of traffic in and out. It was a trade and communication center. It was a seaport, however you worded that. But it was important because that it would have influence. And when the gospel is put into this place of influence, it's going to go forth. What team was Paul working with, according to verse 1? Timothy and Silas. That's right. Question 3. Why did Paul leave Thessalonica after a short time? He was forced out by enemies of the gospel. Kicked him out. God still had his way, and the people still came to the Lord anyway. Verse 2. Speaking of that, I mean, I was like, God always has perfect timing. And if we'll be faithful to the Lord, even when it feels like we failed and it, like it didn't have any, you know, it didn't work what we tried to do for the Lord, then God seems to do things in his own timing. And then, isn't that right? You ever experienced that? Question four, according to verse two, what attitude did Paul have for the Thessalonian Christians? <laughs> Thankful. Thankful to God for them, yes. Question five. Kind of repetition of question two, but who prayed for the church in Thessalonica? The team, yes. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Because they're a team. Not only did they teach and preach together, but they prayed together. That's important. So we do that. When God's people band together and begin to pray, God moves. According to verse 4, Paul reminded the Thessalonian Christians that God what? Loved, you could put remembered in there because that's true as well. And that he what? Chose or elected them. Question 7. What four things did the gospel come in? I said them really quickly. The word, the power, the Holy Spirit, and the assurance. Question 8, according to verse 6. How did the Thessalonians respond to the gospel? Came followers. Question 9, according to the same verse, verse 6. Who did the Thessalonians follow? They followed the Lord, but they also followed Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. Because they were all working together, and Paul didn't get all the credit. According to verse 7, how did the Thessalonians respond to the gospel? According to verse 7, which is different than verse 6. They became examples. They became examples of to those in Thessalonica. According to verse 8, how did the Thessalonians respond to the gospel? With actions, not words. That's true. They What did they do with the word? They sounded forth the word of the Lord. They spread it. 